It's time for a WeChat workout. WeChat. Go, go, go to the Cliff Central account. Tap connect. Then message to show. On radio. On radio. More of the good stuff. Sanbonani, everybody. Good morning. Uh, welcome to the Konza Show. You're with me, Rory. Uh, flying solo today. Uh, my, my friend, my good friend, brother, uh, comrade, uh, partner in crime is, is out and about. We're going to get him on in a bit. Uh, just find out what he's doing and why he is not at work. Andrew Levy, sis on you. Okay. We, we're going to get Andrew on in a minute. Um, so <clears throat> today, we're talking water wars. Um, as you know, or as you might not know, water is, water is a big resource. Um, and increasingly we, 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 we're, hit, we're being hit up with shortage. Andrew Levy, I'm busy here. Can you just wait your turn? <laughs> <laughs> Can you wait sorry, your I'll turn? Be quiet. I'll be quiet. I apologize. I'll Sheesh, be quiet. I'm for sorry. Pete's sake. So first you don't pitch and then now you want to just, uh, come in when I'm speaking. Um, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Alright, wait your turn. So today, we're speaking water wars. Uh, water, important resource, and you know, a few years ago, we thought it far-fetched to think that we would have load shedding, electricity crisis. Well, uh, are we facing a similar prospect with water? That's the first question. Secondly, if water is the new oil, what does that mean in terms of military, politics, um, and, and even just around conservation? So, so we'll have, well, we have great people lined up. Um, I'm going to introduce them later. Um, I mean, amazing people, people that have been in the intelligence. We've got a guy coming on who's like the John D. Rockefeller of water. He is going to be the water baron um, in the era of water uh, after the oil barons have all died. Uh, so we're going to speak to him, find out where the money is being made in the in in the water industry. Um, and then we're going to, of course, have the dashing Miss Earth, Catherine, Catherine Constantinides. Um, she's going to also come on. She's got some very strong opinions on water. So you want to, you want to be here. This is going to be a very interesting show. And by the way, don't forget, if you do want to make comments, you're welcome to tweet me on at Rory Shabalala. That is at R-O-R-I-T-S-H-A-B-A-L-A-L-A. Don't forget WeChat as well. You can catch us there. Send us your messages. Send us your questions. Uh, we really want to hear from you. Right. Andrew Levy. I'm here now. I'm here. Yeah, Wait yeah. Yeah. Why, 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 what's happening? Where are you? What, what are you doing? Yeah, and I, why are you not I, here? I just want to say, like, sometimes you really get the bum job. You know, like, <laughs> what we did, you know, talking about water wars today, one of us decided that it would be a good idea to go find the cleanest water in and around the Johannesburg Karting area. And we drew straws, and that had to be me. It's raining. It's about three degrees outside. Rory's sitting in the studio, nice and cushy, and I'm off to find clean water in the Mobile Strip area. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> I think that's part of the problem is we don't know where our water comes from, isn't it? We've got uh, we've got Tony here, and I'm sure he's he's going to give you some tips on where to look. Um, so, so Andrew, I'm sorry, man, but, uh, we are in the new democracy, my friend. Uh, I got the BE <laughs> job. You now must be in the field, my friend. How does oh, it feel? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> how does that, how does it feel? 
it does feel a little different from our normal perch, you know, white privilege and all. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, we can get used to it. Yeah. So it's an interesting topic that you brought up, Rory, around uh, the water wars. I know you, you were, you're quite passionate about this. Um, and I think one of the interesting things is I was in Ethiopia uh, a couple of years ago. And at the time that I was there, Ethiopia, a lot of people don't know, but it actually the Nile uh, River starts. Uh, the tributary starts in the Ethiopian area. Now, what's interesting about that is that uh, the, the tributaries actually, um, they cross borders. So they cross borders with Ethiopia. There's Somalia involved. Kenya has got some, some, some interesting uh, ties to it. And there was a huge military uh, takeover of that area by the Ethiopian army to secure that source of water. At the time, it didn't feel like anything interesting, but now that you've brought it up in terms of the water wars, this becomes more important. Yeah, it's it's a big deal, and uh, I'm sure I'm sure Tony is going to give us a better sense of what exactly this is all about. It's 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 when you when you start listening to the guy speak, you get you get, you actually get scared. I mean, uh, did you know, for example, and I wasn't even aware of this, but like dams are key points, right? So. You can't just walk up to a dam willy-nilly because, you know, if, if, you, if you get to the dam and you put stuff in it, that's the whole country that could be poisoned. Eh? So, so but does that mean we can't take photos of uh, National Key Dam? That's yeah, look, look, uh, that, that I don't know. This is not the show for, for, for that. Eh? But, uh, oh, this, 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 this is the reason why there's a fire pool. <laughs> They can do me just confirming water source. That's exactly what's going on. Hey, listen, on Twitter, uh, I see that uh, people are already commenting on this. Uh, TV, at Rocket TV, has said that uh, she's from Limpopo, and water shedding is a reality of uh, parts of Limpopo and the Northwest. We are already experiencing it. Jeez. So definitely keep that in mind, and, uh, and, and keep, it, uh, keep it coming with the tweet uh, on the show, at Rory Shabalala, R-O-R-I. P-S-H-A-B-A-L-A-L-A. You got that right this time, Rory. You got it right. And uh, please learning, do please do tweet. Please <laughs> do tweet Andrew as well, even though he is missing in action. At Yebo Levy. That's Y-E-B-O underscore L-E-V-Y. Right, Andrew Levy, you have to get out of here. I need to get on with the show. Uh, we will chat, we'll chat soon, bro. I'm looking forward yeah. to next week. Eh? I'll let you know what I find in Mobile Drift, if anything. But I'm not looking forward to it. It's cold, Rory, and I'm not liking the position. Askis, askis, for it too, man. You should have spoken to your ancestors about about the hundred years of oppression before this. Throwing the bones. Have a good one, Rory. Thanks so much. Cheers, bro. Right. So um, this morning we've got we've got Tony Turton um, in the studio. I don't know whether to say Doctor Tony. I don't know whether to say. Um, you know, Tony the soldier, Tony the spy, Tony, um, Tony the activist. Hello, Tony. Good morning to the, you and the listeners. Uh, am I, is my mic turned off? Um, I, I have been muted. There we go. <laughs> it's not the first time that I've been muted. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. And you know, what I can tell uh, Andrew is that he's not going to find terribly much in Mollusdorf because <laughs> there's a river going there called the Klein Crocodile River. And that Crocodile River actually is, uh, um, a collection point for sewage, sewage oh, water. So goodness. it's, it's not the prettiest place. There's also not particularly <laughs> strong borehole water in the area. So in many ways, it's a microcosm of all of the problems that we're dealing with. He should have, he should have told us that before we drew straws. The poor guy. I'm starting to feel sorry for him. So, so Tony, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, scientist, 
uh, activist. Uh, who who is Tony Turton? I'm just an ordinary commoner, garden South African. I'm a 12th generation South African. My oldest ancestor came out with Jan van Riebeck. Um, uh, was murdered. He was murdered outside the Cape Town Castle. Became one of the first victims of uh, of crime in South Africa. So my country, my 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 uh, family over twelve generations has co-evolved with this thing called South Africa and this you know the evolution of violence and and whatever it takes to find this national identity of ours. Started my life as a farmer, and then of course as a white male South African, I was uh, conscripted into the army. And I did whatever I had to do in the army. I wasn't a particularly good soldier at that point in time. Mm. And then, uh, then I got involved for, uh, uh, as a soldier, in fact, in the, the very, very first uh, military uh, incursions into the townships, the township wars. And that became very much of a life-changing event for me when I witnessed my first uh, necklacings. And wow. I just saw that this, this, this revolution wasn't just going to go away. And at that point in time, I became fairly committed. And I, I then, um, uh, at the time of the Pretoria car bomb, I was recruited out of the military into a special operations unit that had been created to track down and bring to book the perpetrator of the Pretoria car bomb. And that took me into the world of special operations, special intelligence operations. And that long journey took me ultimately, when I did my PhD, my PhD work was in fact on a fusion of the intelligence science, the science of intelligence, the science of decision making under conditions of uncertainty and high risk with incomplete data. Uh, and I merged that with uh, with the hydrological and environmental sciences in South Africa, and I became the first person on the African continent to do that particular topic. And in that process, I was I was linked up now with some of the emerging global intelligence uh, processes, particularly driven by the CIA at the time, at the end of the Cold War, when uh, there was this new emerging uh, uh, global intelligence perspective that, uh, the, for example, the wars of the extension will be fought over water. Is water a national strategic priority? Uh, you know, what, uh, what role does resource uh, scarcity play in this whole thing, etc. So I became part of a sort of global uh, trend, if you like, looking at the at the national security implications of resource scarcity. And subsequent to that, now I've uh, I've transferred my skills now into the scientific world, and then also now into the corporate world, where I, I, I assist corporates in understanding corporate risk uh, coming from, for example, things like watersheding, etc. So that, in mm. a nutshell, is my CV. Jeez. So let, let, let's go back to your time um, in the military. So. At least when you started, when you when you were confronted with this with this work with the CIA, um, how long ago was this when they were already seeing that we were going to be facing um, water shortages and that water was going to become this key st- uh, strategic resource? Well, the, when the Berlin Wall fell in 1989, I was actually on an operation at that point in time in uh, in in Eastern Europe as an intelligence officer. So I witnessed the the, the fall of the Berlin Wall. And um, the whole crumbling of Nikolai Ceausescu, etc., the basic collapse of, of, of global communism, and that was 1989. And, and at that point in time, already the, all of the major intelligence services in the world were looking and saying, actually, what are they going to do? The, the Cold War has come to an end. Mm-hmm. Tens of thousands of people had jobs within the different intelligence structures, and where were they going to go? What were they going to do? So, so the question then was, what is the new global scenario from a from a, a national security perspective going to be after the ending of the Cold War? And of course. Everything changed when somebody flew some airplanes into the side of a building. Mm. But so in that hiatus between those two events, uh, it was in that period of time that there was a, a, 
a, a global trend, certainly in the intelligence services, to look at, at, at natural resources, water, land. And in fact, one of the CIA operations was a very interesting operation because it actually predicted the whole Rwandan genocide, uh, which was in fact a land-driven uh, uh, scarcity. Mm. So subsequent to that, there's been a lot of very hardcore scientific work that's been done on this, on this notion of water wars. And to a large extent, the myth of, uh, of, of, of water wars has, has been debunked. Okay. So, in fact, next month I'm going to be up in Sudan. I'm doing some work up in Sudan now. Um, I've been partly responsible for, for some of the work in Ethiopia because I've been helping the Ethiopian government to realize that they, in fact, do have a, a legal right to their to their, uh, uh, the headwaters of the Nile River. And, uh, in fact, it's within their national interest to do that. And I've been part of a, of a, of a movement of, 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 of specialist scientific specialists, um, that, have, that have looked at this notion of benefit sharing as opposed to water sharing using the Nile River Basin as an example. Mm. So, so in that context, it would probably be in the best interest of the majority of the people in the Nile River Basin not to send all the water down to Egypt and Sudan, but rather to beneficiate some of that water in the head waters of, uh, of, uh, of Ethiopia where you can turn it into energy mm. hydroelectricity mm. and then you can, you can uh, uh, export the water embedded in the electricity known as virtual water, you can export that down the valley and, and create uh, the foundation for an industrial development so that's kind of the, the example of, you know, of, of, of the national strategic issues that come out of this discussion very interesting. So, I mean, let's bring it to, to South Africa. Just give us a sense of what, um, where we're situated in terms of water and, and, and why should I care? Okay, in a, in a nutshell, I'll give you a sort of intelligence briefing of South Africa. So South Africa is a highly water-constrained country, one of the 30th driest countries in the world. We always have been fundamentally water-constrained. Um, we've got a total of about 48 billion cubic meters of water in all of our, our rivers. Uh, that's the, all the water we have available. Uh, of that, 38 billion cubic meters has been trapped in dams. We can't trap the, the, the additional okay. 10 mm. because then we've got to start destroying the ecological functioning of the rivers. So 38 billion is what, what we have to, 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 to grow mm. our economy on. Two-thirds of South Africa's geography is, is physically located in transboundary river basins. Most, so, most transboundary? Rivers that cross international borders, and that was the subject of my PhD work. Um, so basically, the, the transboundary rivers in South Africa, we've got four of them. Uh, we've got the Orange, the Limpopo, uh, the Nkomati, and Maputo river basins. All of those are shared by, by other countries, by us and other countries. So we do not have the exclusive rights in any of those rivers to, you know, to the total volume of water. Under apartheid, that water was was basically expropriated, if you like, and was taken. So, for example, if you look at the at the uh, Inkomati River, about two cubic meters of water per second is allowed through at the at the border, which is a piddling little flow. Um, but that that's as a result of the whole Cold War thing when Mozambique didn't come to the negotiating table as a result of the armed struggle, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we have a situation now where we're literally by the year. 2030, 2035, we are going to need about 62 to 65 billion cubic meters of water to create full employment in South Africa. So the strategic challenge we now have is how do we turn the 38 that we have at high assurance for supply in our dams to 63? That's mm. our challenge. And, 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 and we can now do it one of two ways. We can either import water from the Zambezi and then from the Congo and basically make our pipelines ever longer, which opens up a whole series of other vulnerabilities and, and, and various other issues, or we can do better things with the water we have. Mm -hmm. So if we simply recycle the 38 billion that we have, 
1.6 times, 38 times 1.6 gives you roughly 62. So, th- so that's what we do. So I'm very strongly involved right now in the, uh, with a number of technology providers uh, looking at, at sourcing appropriate technologies for the recycling of water, for the building of business cases to attract funding, capital, etc., to make a st- sustainable business model for the rollout of technologies to effectively use all of our national water 1.8 times by the year 2035. We're going to get to the to the business part. It, it sounds very interesting because that's where all the millionaires are going to be created. Um, one of which is in studio. But uh, uh, tell me a little bit about how that so that whole system, the rivers and so on, that's very far removed from me in Johannesburg. You know, I don't yeah. live close to a river. How does all of that eventually impact on on me? Well, the water in Johannesburg, Johannesburg is a very interesting city because it's the only city in the world that's not on a river, not on a lake or not on a watershed. Mm. Uh, sorry, not, 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 not on a, uh, a water body. Yeah. Um, it's on a continental watershed divide. So Johannesburg actually should not be here. Mm. It's only here because of the discovery of gold. Now it gets very interesting because the gold industry is in severe decline. It will probably not exist in 20 years from now. Some analysts even predict it will not exist 10 years from now. Mm. So, so the very reason for Johannesburg's existence is gold. That is no longer going to be here. The unintended consequence of gold mining is now coming back in the form of, of effluent, acid mine drainage, uh, uranium, radionuclide contamination. That's all going to be released now into our rivers in the very, very near future is already being released. Um, so the water we get in Johannesburg right now, what people don't realize is every drop of water that we get in, uh, in Johannesburg, at least half of that drop of water came from the highlands of Lesotho. Hmm. And the other half came from the Tugela River in KZN. And the, and the water from the Tugela was pumped over the Drakensberg by Eskom using the surplus energy <laughs> that Eskom used to have. Hmm. And uh, they would pump the water up the hill uh, to the top of the Drakensberg Mountain where they would store it in the Sterkfontein Dam. And then when they needed a quick squirt of energy when people were turning on their, 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 their stoves at night at 6 o'clock at night, that peak period hmm. when all the load shedding happens now, hmm. they would release the water down the river and they would capture two-thirds of the energy that was stored in the water. Hmm. Okay, now, of course, we don't have surplus energy anymore. So, so, so Tony, by, by, by they would capture the, the energy, it means that there's, a, there's a hydroelectric setup there? They effectively used uh, water as a battery. So in other words, the, uh, by, by using the surplus energy on the national grid that otherwise could not be stored, they would, they would use that to pump the water uphill with, mm-hmm. with pumps, mm-hmm. and there would be a cost involved in that, but it didn't cost them anything because it was surplus energy that, that, that was going to waste. And they would then keep that in the dam on the top of the mountain, and then when they opened the sluice of the dam, the water would flow through a series of turbines, and that would then... then then generate electricity, and about two thirds of the of the of the energy that you used to get the, the the water to the top of the hill could then be recovered, recovered as yeah. it came down the hill again. Mm, mm. So 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 all the water in Johannesburg comes from those two sources. But what people don't realize is where the water goes when they finish using it, mm. and it all goes into the sewage reticulation system most of which flows northwards of the continental watershed divide into the Crocodile River. So our water comes from the Tugela and the, and, and the, and the Orange Vile system, but it ends up in the Limpopo River system in the form of sewage return flows. So, so we have a number of sewage uh, 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 systems in Johannesburg, all of which are, are running at, at significantly over-designed capacity, none of which are, are running uh, uh, very efficiently. And I see this morning coming here, uh, there's this big uh, thing now about this sewage pipeline going into the Vaal. Well, all sewage works discharge their water back into the local river wherever they are. So let's just take, so, a, let's just take a sober moment to, just to, to, to make sure that penny drops. So once, once, once you flush the toilet, yep. 
That goes to a holding site somewhere. Out of sight, out of mind, goes down a pipe. And then through a pipe and then directly into a no, river. No, no, not directly. It goes, it goes through, it's fed by gravity at that point in time. So there's a whole series of pipes that are gravity fed now. Hmm. And it goes eventually to a number of sewage works. The most significant one is the Johannesburg North sewage outfall on the Yuxkay River. If, uh, if you go past the Danefern area, you see those two big concrete pipes mm. across the valley. Mm. Those are three-meter diameter pipes. So they're two pipes of three-meter diameter each mm. that flow full of sewage. Jeez. And that then flows into a very sophisticated sewage treatment works, extremely sophisticated, which then cleans up the water. And, and then, assuming that that sewage system functions as it was designed originally, it will then discharge the cleaned-up sewage effluent back into the Yixkei River, which then flows on down uh, the Crocodile River uh, uh, into, uh, into Horebiasport Dam, where it, where it uh, meets water from a num- number of other rivers. I think it's something like about 10 or 12 sewage works all eventually discharge into the, uh, the Horebiasport Dam. Jeez, that fancy place. Yeah, and at one point in time, there was even talk of instead of investiga- uh, investing significant money in upgrading all of those many sewage works, rather just use Hardy uh, Bespot Dam as the end treatment point and just treat it there. And there was a lot of public uh, pushback on that issue, etc. So mm. the bottom line is that South Africa is starting, whether we like it or not, we are recycling sewage. We are already doing it. Uh, there was no, no one talks about it, but we are already doing it. And we are recycling it through a system that was designed in the 1950s and 60s, mm. has not been significantly recapitalized subsequent to that. So, for, th- for example, subsequent to the 1950s, we've had things like medications, things like, just like birth control. Birth control was not, you know, the, the pill, the birth control pill mm. was not in practice in the 1950s. Yeah. Today it's in mainstream practice. Yeah. So we have return flows of estrogen going back into the rivers, antiretrovirals going back into the rivers, uh, uh, personal healthcare products, uh, soaps, uh, um, oils, you know, things that make you look pretty and smell nice, etc. all go back down, down the system. And then of course you've got the whole raft of, uh, of, 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 of uh, recreational drugs that are partly metabolized. Then you've got every conceivable tablet you've ever taken. Yeah. And what do you do if you've got some tablets that you don't know what to do with at the end of their life, you flush them, them down, down the, the toilet, toilet okay? yeah. which of course is grossly irresponsible mm. but there is no policy in place to, to, you know, to deal what with What do it. I do with them, yeah. So, so, so we are in a situation now where if in the context of, 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 of water shedding, we are already recycling uh, 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 water from the, the 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 dams that has been through a sewage t- a treatment process that in most cases is not entirely effective so we are now moving to a situation where we, 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 we're reaching a fork in the road and we either have to turn left or turn right. Now, if we turn left, we're going to invest heavily into bulk sewage, uh, bulk, bulk water uh, uh, process upgrades. We're talking now about the Rand Waters and, you know, the Mgani Waters, the big, the big water providers, and we're going to spend billions of, 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 of Rand on, on upgrading those, or we are going to go the route that you're going, uh, which is the, the end of the pipe solution. So in other words, the, the individual community, the individual household, the individual factory, the farm, etc., is then going to plug some or other widget at the, you know, on the end of their system, and that's going to now open up a whole series of opportunities for entrepreneurs, or it's, but it's also going to start driving the inequalities in society even further, because those that can do something about it will, and those that can't do something about it won't. Jeez. <clears throat> Tony, now you've got me properly scared. Um, is this all this water that's got, you know, these... All these drugs, everything um, you mentioned—you mentioned, you mentioned uh, birth control pills and so on. All of that 
we're, we're busy drinking. Well, in the case of Johannesburg, we are lucky because we're at the very headwaters. So the water that we're getting is actually fairly clean. Mm. I pity the people that are downstream of Johannesburg. So the people of Brits, for example. And right now, there's a lot of tension in the, in the, in the Brits area. You know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, of, of political argy-bargy going on there. There's dysfunctional uh, water reticulation systems taking place there, etc. Et so this whole notion of water war, getting back to this original theme, if you think of a water war as, 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 as a conflict between two countries over a shared water resource, that notion has largely been debunked because there are so many technologies available and the cost of, that, of those technologies is relatively low compared when compared to, say, buying an F-16 fighter jet mm. you know, or, or, or a main battle tank. Okay? Mm, mm, so, mm. So, so it doesn't make economic sense to fight a water war. But what is happening now is the, at, sub, at, at sub-national level, uh, water problems tend to act as a magnifying glass to exacerbate the underlying tensions already in society. Right. So that's where the global literature and research, if you like, on water tension, water conflict has now gone to the sub-national level. And within that international school, I'm now part of that international school, and I'm looking at the sub-national intersectoral issues, for example, water and mining, uh, water uh, uh, society versus mines, uh, mines versus uh, agriculture, etc. So, so let's. Uh, you mentioned Brits, for example. Yeah. Um, what's happening, and and what what's the water war? So, what you're saying is that the water wars might not be international, but they they, they could yeah. definitely be domestic. Yeah. yeah. So, th- so in other words, if there's a water problem, we can. Uh, in 2007, when I was at the CSR, I wrote a paper that 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 caused somewhat of a of a stir and ended my career there. But, <laughs> but, but in the, in that particular paper, uh, I, I effectively predicted what has now come to be known as service delivery protest, service de- delivery unrest, because with all the knowledge, all the international knowledge that we had of all these trends, it was very very clear that this was going to happen. It was an entirely a predictable thing. Okay, um, so so what you're having there now is a very interesting phenomenon because as soon as water Water scarcity or water service delivery starts breaking down. You start getting entrepreneurs emerging. Now you find it in Malawi, you find it in Zambia, you find it anywhere. You know, in in, you know, in Egypt, you get your local water vendors. So the water vendors start making money out of the sale of that water, but now they have a vested interest for their infrastructure to remain broken. So in other words, they start sabotaging the infrastructure so that they can perpetuate their business. And that is what we started seeing at, in in the Brits case, where, where water vendors were now getting contracts, uh, tanker operators, et cetera, to provide water through tankers. And their vested interest was not to, not to have the, uh, the the, the infrastructure repaired. So we now start seeing almost a breakdown of, of, of of the rule of order and the rule of, uh, uh, the functioning of society, if you like, where, where government actually has its authority eroded. And you start seeing coming out of that now criminal activities and that there are two sides of the criminal activity. The one side is is the is the is the illegal vendor that wants to protect their financial interest, mm-hmm. and the other side is very well-meaning activists, environmental activists who act uh, start usurping the role of the state yeah. because the state is embattled under pressure and they become vigilantes, if you like. Jeez. So you get this: the two sides of the same coin. Mm. One side is vigilante action, so-called for the public best good, to to assist government or when yeah. government is not. Making the, the right decision to force them to do that, take them, you know, the, to, to court, etc. And then the other side of it is the is the blatant criminal side, which is about this is my cash flow. Don't fiddle with it. The more the more the pumps are broken, the more the taps uh, don't flow, the more my business will happen. So in other words, within that now, th- there's a case to be made for for legitimate entrepreneurship. 
legitimate, and I say it because ultimately where the world is going in, 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 in water scarcity is that governments increasingly are unable to do all the provision themselves. So you're getting, you're getting a situation whereby you, you are having a, a public-private type of partnerships, call them what you want to. Uh, they've got different names in different places, but essentially a, a partnership between, between licensed service providers that are, that are not necessarily the state. Chief, hmm. so you mentioned a lot of things there. The, the thing that, that that I'm worried about is is you've got this capitalism that's going to now take over. I mean, there's a big raging debate around electricity privatization. Um, so, so do you see us then going to a point where we're considering water privatization? And if that if that's what's going to happen, are we not just leading ourselves down a, a, a path of greater pain? Well, that's a very Interesting discussion. Of course, that discussion will be heavily clouded by ideology in South Africa at the moment. The, the bottom line is we need lots and lots of money and we need lots and lots of, te- of technical expertise to solve these problems. So, so where are we going to get the money from? Are we going to constantly ask the, you know, the poor taxpayer? And we've seen what happened in the, in the, in the, in the e-tolling saga. Mm. The taxpayer eventually said this far and no further. They're not going to do it. So we're going to need capital. And that capital is either going to be funded by taxes or funded by debt or funded by, by some well-meaning entrepreneur who's going to make a little a, a modest return on investment. If they can't make a return on investment, then ultimately you're not going to get capital coming in. Mm. So, so we're at that very interesting uh, ideological moment now where different technologies are coming in, different service providers are coming in. I personally see a very, very significant role because I see in, in my capacity as an editor of various international technical journals uh, that I work on, I, I get uh, across my desk on a day basis in a uh, peer-reviewed papers from all over the world. And the trend we see from there now is that you get these service providers that are legitimate, that are, that are sanctioned, they're licensed, they make a modest uh, income, enough income to basically justify the raising of capital in the first place, and they start empowering people to create jobs uh, down, down, down the line. And of course, one of the other new technologies that you're going to start seeing coming out now is the re- technology to recycle wastewater. So mm-hmm. recycle grey water from the household, sewage water, uh, water from the from the bathroom, etc., make that safe to then start using that, for example, for the production of food uh, and at local household level for food security. Right. Mm. <clears throat> this is really, really, I mean, I don't know whether to be scared or uh, actually, I don't know what else to be but but scared. Um, <clears throat> but be, in, be informed, be informed. I think the, the, the reason why I engage in a show like this is simply to help inform Society, we're living in a in a tech savvy environment now, where people are plugged in with smartphones. They can Google stuff instantly. Mm. So we just need to have savvy people that are that understand the issues, but more importantly, that uh, that that realise that there are solutions out there, and and we mustn't panic. The last thing we must do is panic because we're not at that point yet where where, where panic is going to be helpful in any way, shape, or form. Mm. <clears throat> well, you're speaking of savvy people. Um, another savvy person is Catherine Constantinides. Um, the executive director of Miss Earth SA, a mover and a shaker. We need people like her to be to be to be bringing their voices into conversations like these. I mean, Catherine Catherine just knows how to to to, to own a room, um, and of course it does not it does not hurt that she's a beauty queen, a beauty queen with brains. Of course, hello, Catherine. 
Hello, it's great to chat to you. Thank you for that very interesting intro. Hey, I could have gone, I mean, you know, your, your, your profile is so long, you know, Desmond Tutu, Archbishop Desmond Tutu Fellow, uh, you know, oh, yeah. business mogul. So, so there's a lot that could be said, but Savvy is definitely one of them. What do you make of uh, Tony's, Tony's assertion that we need Savvy people to start getting involved in this conversation? Well, firstly, I have to say that I think that the most unbelievable mind within the water space is um, uh, Professor Anthony Turton. He's the most unbelievable man. We've followed his career for many, many years now, and I'm completely inspired by everything he does. He's just an incredible mind, not just here in South Africa, but all over the world. He's an expert, and he's somebody that people look up to for answers, for solutions, and for, for great thought leadership within the space. Wow. I think he's absolutely right. We do need tech-savvy people. We need people with um, a mind of innovation to tackle the water issues that we face. And the one thing that's really, really important and something that um, Professor Clayton often speaks about is water stewardship. We need to be able to have a groundswell of people who take ownership of looking after um, water bodies in their communities. People, young people, to take a vested interest in water as a career opportunity. What can they do? We need a new, a new thinking around the water space because we do have a critical issue. And I think it's really important to understand people forget that water firstly does not come from a tap. Water um, in South Africa, we are a, a sub-Saharan country where we're uh, actually a water-scarce nation. And people think just because we have access to water so easily, that we, in fact, just have an endless supply. And that is, in fact, not the truth. And the strategic water source areas um, are mining activities that cause um, A&D, alien vegetation, invading natural biodiversity across the country. And climate change really impacts. And the higher temperatures do result in plants needing more water and evaporation rates increase because of climate change. So there are so many technical areas and tech-savvy people are the people that we will rely on for our future. So, so Catherine, you know, before we, we talk about the tech-savvy people, let's talk about the average man on the street. Um, you know, what is it that, that, that I can do? I mean, you, you can listen to this conversation, listen to Professor uh, Tony speaking and, and feel very disempowered. You know, how, how do I turn this whole thing? I mean, how do I double the amount of water that is in South Africa, for example? So, so what, what do I as, as, as an average Joe Soap do about, uh, the, this issue of water? I'm so glad you've asked me that. So thank you for that specific question. There are so many things we can do. We can, we can start by making our homes more water efficient. If we measure and monitor the water that we're using um, from our municipal bill and we set goals for ourselves, it doesn't matter if you live in a flat, it doesn't matter if you live in a complex, if you have a small home, if you have a big home, we can all become more water efficient by setting goals and trying to reduce our water consumption. And this really includes making our garden more water-wise if you do have a garden and removing water thirsty alien species from your garden and rather look at indigenous plants, which really will require a minimum watering um, process. So there is one thing that's really easy. You can install, um, install a rainwater tank and a grey water system at, at your home, even at your office premises, if you have a, a big office park or something like that, because these 
these mechanisms will allow you to water your garden and use that water for non-essential use, like wa- washing your car, etc. You're not using water out of the tap, but you're using either grey water or you're using your rainwater tank that that uh, is from rain from a few months ago even. And the other thing that's important is that if we cut down on our food waste, and now people might might not link the two, but we actually consume most of our water indirectly through the food that we're eating and all the kinds of things that we buy. So being more aware of how much we need um, food, if we really don't waste food um, and don't buy things um, that we don't really need, if we're aware that there's actually a water footprint there, how, you don't actually even understand how much water goes into producing our food items. Something, for example, um, a liter of, of milk. How many of us have milk on a, a daily basis? And many of us can consume one liter of milk in a very short period of time. And one liter of milk has a water footprint of 1,000 liters of water Jeez. just to produce that one liter of milk. So if we think of everything that we consume from a water footprint perspective, I think that we'd be able to really cut down our water consumption quite drastically. The other thing that's really important, uh, you can actually work out your water footprint and learn more about where your water comes from, specifically to where, you cu- where you're living um, in South Africa. If you visit journeyofwater.co.za, you'll be able to find out where your local water source is um, and how you actually can, can calculate what your water footprint is. And then give yourself a goal and try to reduce it. Okay, so it's www.journeyofwater.co.za, is it? That's it. Well, let's bring let's bring Professor Tony in here. I saw him shaking his head, uh, nodding vigorously there when you when 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 you mentioned that that milk statistic. So you're saying it takes 1,000 liters of water to 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 make sure that I've got a liter of milk in the fridge. Correct, Professor Tony. Well, okay. If it's a thousand liters of water per liter of milk, it's about two and a half thousand liters of water per liter of beer. And of oh, course, of, wow. what, of course, this is a very interesting point that Catherine has raised. Then, this is that whole debate on what's known as virtual water, the trade of virtual water. This is a very, very significant strategic issue, and people must start understanding that. I, I believe. When we think about water and water scarcity, people only think about the water coming out of their tap. Of all the water in the entire water, let's call it budget, used by an individual or society, that is the most insignificant water. Let me give you an example. For a person to survive, you need one to two liters of water per person per day. Very insignificant, very small. You can buy that and you can find it on the side of the road if, you, if you've got no other, other place. Okay. In order to live a reasonable lifestyle, you need about 250 liters of, of water per person a day. You're now going to have a bath and have a shower and flush your toilet and, and maybe wash your vegetables. Okay. But a typical person eats about between two and 3,000 calories of food per person per day. Okay, For, uh, it takes a liter of water per calorie of food on on ballpark thumbsuck average. Okay, so in other words, a three thousand a calorie per day diet means three tons of water per person per day. Jeez. So the national water budget is always about water for food. So what you're now seeing emerge, and on the global debate, the World Economic Forum at Davos about two or three years ago put this on the on, on the map. We brought it to South Africa. The concept of 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 the water in 
energy food nexus, the WEF nexus. This is the big strategic bottleneck going forward. It's the water, energy, food. If you look at the energy problem right now, our constraint in our national energy grid is not that we don't have coal to, to burn to make, to make uh, electricity. It's because we, for, every, for every kilowatt hour of electricity uh, uh, we, we generate, we burn about a kilogram of coal, but we evaporate about 1.4 uh, uh, kilograms of water. So it's water in our energy that's the critical matter, okay? Wow. So the Madupis of the world, they're going to be surviving on those very same sewage return flows I told you early on, because if you get back to South Africa's national water management strategy, uh, we've, we've, the whole country's divided into water management areas. The only water management area that has predicted to have an increase in flow over time is the Crocodile West Marika, and that is from the sewage return flows coming out of the growing city of Johannesburg in the Gauteng area. Wow. So, Catherine, um this is all a lot to take in. Um, as, as, as a young person, how do I get involved um, in not just uh, saving water personally, but in making sure that um, my friends and so on get involved in this whole thing? Um, what are you guys doing at, at, at Miss, Miss Earth SA? And what's, what, what, exactly is, uh, what exactly is happening or on a lead SA perhaps level uh, in terms of this water issue? Um, thank you for all the question. I think it's important to understand that with what we know around water, we need to make this topic a topic that, that really um, grows legs and goes into different spaces. This needs to be a topic that young people take into their conversation with friends at work, at dinner parties. We need to start discussing water as a critical issue because the water crisis that is looming and that is already, uh, you know, one would argue that already exists, will become one where we are rationed with the water that we can use. In the same way that we're load-shedded, we're going to be water-shedded. And we need to start having these very critical conversations with people. And I think if we can create more awareness and education through having the discussion, it's important. The same way that you've said um, throughout the show that you're really shocked by the information that you've got today. If you had to go out and start talking about this at a dinner table with 10 other people, you're going to shock them just as much. And hopefully that becomes sort of a ripple effect where really um, powerful young minds start to talk about these issues and start to look at how do we address uh, the, the water crisis, how do we address how we use water in our daily lives, and how, we, how do we reduce that as well. From a leader's perspective, we really have try to focus on water um, from a, a municipal level, from a level of making sure that we encourage people to report leaking taps, to report those pipes. These are small things that, that active citizens need to take on to say, look, we need to make sure that we don't just look at the, the burst water pipe, or we don't just look at the leaking taps and take photos and tweet them. Have you phoned your, your councillor or have you phoned your city water body uh, wherever it might be in South Africa, and have you reported those things? Because as much as we can just sit and point at certain things and wait for government to, to uh, fix a, a burst pipe or fix a leaking tap in a public area, they don't have capacity to be everywhere all of the time. So we need people to be active on the ground to report these things and to find out who is your counselor in your area. How many of us even know who our counselors are? And it's our responsibility to be active citizens to make sure that we can do small things that have great impact. 
So, so you speak about us getting active. Um, we're a mobile generation, and uh, you know, having to call a call center and being wait, made to wait for ten minutes. I run out of airtime. I'm a young person. You know, what? what, what? No, so, absolutely. are there are there are there platforms like apps, or you know, is there somebody I can tweet or something absolutely. like that? Um, I'm so glad uh, that you told me you will run out of airtime because <laughs> um, in this day and age, we can in fact tweet those things. So instead of us just tweet, taking a photo and tweeting, oh, shocking, another leaking tap, tweet at the city of Joburg, tweet at Mzanzi um, Water, tweet at the people within the spaces. And if you just search on, on, on your Twitter app itself, you'll find um, what City of Water's um, Twitter handle is, specific to your region or province. And most government parastatals are quite active and quite responsive um, on, on Twitter. I've seen that specifically with the city of Joburg, their response to the load shedding, they do try to respond to, I don't know how many they respond to, but they are very responsive uh, to people who are reporting um, reporting things or, or inquiring about information on those, etc. The water, uh, Joburg, city, Joburg city water is the same. Right. Well, it's Catherine Constantinides, um, Executive Director of Miss Earth SA. Um, Catherine, so if people want to get more information um, on what you're doing in the space, uh, what, 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 how, do they, how do they follow you? I know you've got a very interesting story around having actually walked um, the journey of water um, over a couple of days. You know, where, where do we get this information from and the story? How do we, how do we follow you? Well, please, please follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. So the Miss Earth program can be followed on Miss Earth underscore SA. And this being National Environment Week, there are a lot of facts and figures specifically around food, energy, water, and waste um, that the, the Miss Earth um, organization tweets about. And that's probably throughout the year anyway. You can also follow me at Change Agent SA on Twitter. And then there's an open Facebook page, Miss Earth South Africa. And then I'm under Catherine Constantinides. And you can you can find information on all these kinds of things on there. And what we don't know, we will most certainly inspire um, the people that do know and get back to you. I did attend the Journey of Water with WWF recently, and we really sort of understood the experience going from the highlands in Natal and following the direct water and specifically looking at how sick our our wetlands are, and our water system is. And the work done by people such as WWF in the water space, people such as our very own Professor Turkin, is really um, groundbreaking stuff that, that happens here in South Africa, and we really need to support those people that are working within the water space because the next war will be fought over water. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Catherine, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Um, continue being the mover and shaker that you are. You inspire us greatly. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. It's always an honor. Cheers. <clears throat> right, so we have to get involved. Um, you know, it's not just about uh, government. It's not just about Professor Tony uh, doing something about it. Uh, we as young people uh, is the message I'm getting from Catherine and even from you, Professor, that we need to get involved. Um, <clears throat> we've got a young person here who has decided to get involved. Um, 
he decided to leave a big corporate job, actually, one of the big companies, and decided to pursue this water thing um, and maybe even become the, the, the John D. Rockefeller of water in our generation. So let's welcome Rudy Cook uh, into studio. How are you doing, Rudy? I'm doing very well this morning, Rory. <clears throat> so tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you see yourself participating in this, uh, let's say, the new economy of water. Well, for me, it started with uh, a passion that I have for our country and, and traveling the African continent. And as you travel, you see guys carting like uh, 50 to 100 to 150 liters of water on bicycles. And, and then you just start digging into the reasons for that. And um, I've got an engineering background, and that has driven me to, to, to look into how can we build solutions that can actually help these people get what – is actually a right to each of us as individuals. Mm, so what have you then uh, decided to do? So we started a, a company called uh, Water Bros with the aim to remodel the water distribution system in the country. The big challenge is that we currently use uh, centralized units that are very expensive um, and I think Dr. Turton was alluding to this earlier on that we've got a choice at this fork in the road. So we are building mobile units that can be deployed in communities where they are needed and where you can actually empower a local entrepreneur to run a small water business, which um, not only provides access to clean water, but also empowers the local economy within the community. Mm, so let, let, let's get, uh, let's get uh, Tony in on this conversation. Uh, Tony, um, is he on the right track? Is this, is this where the money is going to be made? Absolutely, he's on the right track. Uh, are there, is it going to be millions and millions to be made? No, because I think ultimately water is a strange resource. Water, by virtue of the fact that it's a life-giving resource, I don't think we're ever going to commodify it like we've commodified oil. Like we've commodified food. So I think that's where a lot of people have made a mistake up to now. They've, uh, they've thought that there's going to be millions and millions of dollars to be made. So they've gone for the wrong reason. Okay. They've gone to commodify water. I don't think it's going to be fully commodified. I think where people are going to make money is where they can add value to the, the long-term provision of water. Uh, particularly in an environment or in a in a new national economy where where water pollution water quality is increasingly for example going to deteriorate going to impact on the capacity of milk cows to make milk of pigs to grow bacon of chickens to lay eggs you know our food food to be safe and wholesome and ultimately for people also so so certainly the technology providers are probably where they're going to make but I think the important thing that what I like about this idea here is that it's a it, it's self sustaining you know, it's, it doesn't rely on, on government handouts or charitable handouts. It actually is a way of, 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 of providing a, a, a viable enough cash flow at a local level by marrying that together with a need and also with an appropriate technology. So, therefore, it's a sustainable solution. Not going to make millions and millions and millions, but you're going to empower lots of people. And collectively, they're going to make a, a, a big impact because all of those little bits and pieces of money that are going to be made are going to restore people's dignity. The right to a job, you know, the right to the right to household food security, etc., is all going to be based on that kind of thinking. So, absolutely, I support it. So, um, Rudy is not going to make tons of money. 
Well, he'll he'll make money, but 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 if you if you look at the whole thing against, for example, uh, from a venture capital perspective, venture capitalists want to make twenty percent plus return on investment. You're not, you know, you're going to make a modest return on investment. If you don't make a return on investment, then you get back to that ideological discussion. Let's nationalise the resource, and that's what we've done. The National Water Act nationalised the resource, and subsequent to the nationalisation, we now have a severe deterioration of all of the water service uh, facilities and infrastructure. So that's an ideological political debate and as a nation we can decide to go that route or, or not. The individual hasn't really got a, got, a, got a place to play in that. But I believe ultimately that we need capital, we need technology, we need innovation and whether that's capitalism with a small c uh, merged with socialism with a small s, I think that's the new business model. Mm. Okay, So this new business model is going to be about social entrepreneurship that's going to do, do, do good things with available capital and technology, not make millions and millions of, of, of dollars because the, the era of massive growth, economic growth, that's really come to an end you know, at global level. This whole global economic meltdown was about the, the short-term thinking of just making the bottom line. Okay, So ultimately, this, this thinking that you've got now from this radio station today, I think actually is a very, very beacon of hope because this is actually very much the way we're going to go in the future. Really? Yeah, well, I think it is right that, um, you know, water is a right, so it will always be sold at a price that is affordable to the local. But as soon as you start empowering them with capital and with resources, you know, the opportunities for them are boundless. They can then start expanding their business into things like fruit juices. Um, because they've already got the resource in their hands. So although it's not uh, focused on the water per se, I think the local entrepreneur will have the opportunity to actually make significant money out of this. So <clears throat> you, uh, Tony mentioned social entrepreneurship, um, and you, you, you participating and you're representing South Africa as one of two, compa- uh, two companies or two teams in a global challenge. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, the... The U.S. State Department has launched a global innovation and entrepreneurship competition. Out of uh, 792 entrants, um, they, they selected uh, 76 semi-finalists, and our business, or Water Bros, is one of those semi-finalists. And we're currently contesting to go to the finals in Nairobi in July. So how does that work? What what do you win, and what what happens? Well, there's a number of wins. Firstly, you get access to a huge network and you can potentially get funding for your project. And so what we need to do is we need to people to support us by voting for us, for our initiative, as one of the top initiatives to go to this uh, the Global Entrepreneurship Summit in Kenya in July. You need people to vote. How does, uh, where do we vote? Well, I think the easiest way is to just go like our Facebook page or follow us at Water Bros, uh, Water underscore Bros on Twitter. There you'll find all the information. It will lead you to the site where all the semi-finalists are being presented. And there you can look at all the different initiatives from around the globe. Okay, so that's Water Bros. Um, you, 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 you might win, you said how much? How much is it? $10,000? Yeah, $15,000 uh, to, to kickstart your project. To kickstart your project. And it sounds like it's a very important project, certainly endorsed um, on the surface of it by, by, by Professor Tony. Uh, Tony, uh, as we wrap up, uh, what is the key thing that we need to just take away from this conversation? 
I think the key thing we need to take away is that we mustn't panic. There's lots of hope out there. There are many, many solutions out there. It's not a, it's not a crash and burn and doom and gloom. I think what we are, are seeing now is a transition in the global economy of water um, that comes on the back of this global sort of economic transition as well. We're going to see increasingly disruptive types of technologies coming out, and we're going to see many, many solutions coming forward. The important thing is that we must start becoming aware. We must become custodians or stewards of water. When we start adopting that custodian, custodial role, that stewardship role, I think that is when we're going to start realizing that we are not above nature. We are not outside of nature. We are part and parcel of nature. And there's only one one planet uh, with with water in solid liquid and vapor form. That's planet Earth. And in fact, I'll say one, one final thing. Your audience are all tech-savvy people. They're all young people. I will make a prediction on this show, and I hope you hold me to it, okay? Mm. In their lifetime... They will see the first attempt made by Homo sapiens, human beings, to colonize another planet. Mm. And the reason for that is we've outstripped our supply of resources. So just as as a small boy, I was inspired by the NASA's attempt to land on the moon and, and, and Chris Barnard's heart transplants. Those are the two events that inspired my, me and my generation. Mm. This, this, this thing about colonizing another planet will increasingly become the mainstream. Hold me to my prediction, please. We'll do that, certainly. So very quickly, how do we follow you? Uh, very, very quickly, um, you know, how do we, how do we keep track of, of the leading mind in water in South Africa? I'm not particularly tech savvy and I'm trying very hard to understand things like Twitter and whatever, but I have, uh, I'm on Twitter uh, and, uh, and, at Anthony Turton, at Turton Water, sorry, at Turton Water. That's my Twitter handle. Uh, that's the easiest way to follow me. Okay. Or also just do a Google search for Anthony Turton, Anthony Turton Water and see what comes back. Excellent. So that's Turton, T-U-R-T-O-N. Excellent. So this has been uh, quite an informative show, certainly thought-provoking. Missed having my my, my brother Andrew here with me, but he'll certainly be here next week. Um, You know, there's a lot to digest here, but certainly it sounds like a lot that uh, one can do at an individual level. Uh, I have to be getting out of here, people. Um, It's been it's been great. It's been real, as they say on the on the streets. Um, So we'll 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 chat again next week. Um, Please. Uh, keep it locked uh, on Cliff Central. And finally, just make sure, as, as Rudy Cook is doing, to change the world. CliffCentral.com.